eat. And so if we can prepare our kids for when they are adults to be safe and to advocate for themselves, but to also know what to do in a situation. SLPs, I'm Michelle, and this is the Pep Talk Podcast for Continuing Education. This podcast provides furthering knowledge on topics related to speech-language pathology. I interview experts in our field to bring you the most up-to-date information so you can go out into your workplace and feel more confident and learn new skills. You can use this episode for a professional development hour to maintain your ASHA CCCs. This course is also certified by the Texas Speech and Hearing Association, also known as TISHA. You must complete the course quiz with a passing score to earn your certificate of completion. You can find more information, other courses, and helpful tools on my website, peptalkpodcastforslps.com. Connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, or email me at michelle at peptalkpodcastforslps.com. I love hearing from you guys. Please don't hesitate to reach out. Just a quick disclaimer, the contents of this episode are not meant to replace clinical advice. Pep Talk Podcast, its host and guests do not represent or endorse specific products or procedures mentioned during the episodes unless otherwise stated. Each episode topic has been carefully chosen to fill an educational need. If you have an additional perspective or any information to contribute, or if you need special accommodations to participate in this course, please reach out at info at peptalkpodcastforslps.com. This entire episode is transcribed if you would like to or need to read this episode in text. Hey there, I'm Michelle Andrews, and I'm your host for the Pep Talk Podcast. This episode is all about targeting safety in the community with school-aged children. All children need to be aware of basic safety knowledge. Sometimes dangerous or uncomfortable situations happen, and you can't predict when. The best thing we can do is prepare ahead of time for how we will respond and teach our children what to do as well. My guest speaker today is Kat Watson, who is actually my wonderful sister-in-law. She is married to my brother. Um, So let me tell you a little bit about Kat. She graduated from Baylor University with an all-level special education degree. She was a K-5 through alternative learning environment teacher for three years a PPCD teacher for two years. She worked with Any Baby Can of San Antonio as their autism education specialist. And she currently is a volunteer and coach with Kinetic Kids Gymnastics. First, we need to go over some formalities for the course by going over our financial disclosures. My financial disclosures include, I have a Teachers Pay Teachers, Boom Learning, and Teach with Medley store under Pep Talk LLC. I am also the founder and manager of Pep Talk and the Pep Talk podcast. Teach with Medley is also a sponsor for this podcast. My non-financial disclosures include, I have a stock participation plan with Teach with Medley. Kat's financial disclosures include, no financial disclosures. And her non-financial disclosures include, she has no non-financial disclosures. Now here are the learner objectives for this course. You will be able to identify three basic safety knowledge targets for children You will be able to identify three reasons why basic safety knowledge is important to a child's well-being. You will be able to describe a way to incorporate basic safety knowledge into speech therapy goals. Okay, let's get started. So this episode of the Pep Talk podcast is all about targeting safety in the community. 
I am thrilled to introduce today's guest speaker, my sister-in-law, Kat Watson. Hi there, Kat. Hey, y'all. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much, Michelle, for having me on here today. I am so excited that you agreed to come on my podcast and talk about all of your expertise when it comes to safety in the community and especially as an autism education specialist. So Kat, I told everyone a little bit about you, but how about you go ahead and tell me a little bit more about yourself and how you have accumulated all of your knowledge about safety in the community. Well, hi, y'all. So I actually started an interest in special education when I was about 15. I was a gymnast. And at my gym, we had a wonderful gymnastics program where different learners were able to come and learn gymnastics. So I started volunteering with these amazing gymnasts, and some of them I still have today, which is great. Um, And so that really sparked my love and interest for the community So I went to Baylor University. I graduated with an all-level special education degree. I was, I did acrobatics and tumbling there as well, which was really, really fun. Um, And then once I graduated, I came back to San Antonio and started teaching at my former district that I grew up in. My first year, I was actually a uh, um, alternative learning environment teacher really for more individuals that were medically fragile. And that was such a good learning experience for me. I learned a lot about AAC devices, which was great. Um, I had multiple individuals that were using eye gazes, the Dynavox. So that was really interesting. And it really helped me, especially my first year teaching. Speech is such a big factor when kids are learning and when they are in school. And if they don't have an ability to communicate where people can understand them, then behaviors are going to increase. They're going to get frustrated. And it's really the center around education. Um, So I really worked hand in hand with my speech and language pathologists. And I was very lucky to have very, very great ones that we worked very cohesively together. After that, I then kind of had a mix of kiddos for my last two years in ALE, um, about 10 kids of all different varying abilities. And it was just so much fun. After that, I went into PPCD. So the littles, the three to five-year-olds, and that's really so great because that's their first time in school. Um, that's where I saw a lot of safety concerns from parents, you know, kids bolting to the car, parent pickup, um, things that, you know, they'd never been in school before. So they were scared of them riding the bus. They were scared of them going to school and not being around them. And so working with the parents collaboratively was extremely important to make sure that they were in a safe environment at school, but also they had those skills to take home with them and really learn at home. So it's super important to create that environment for the parents as well. After that, I became an autism education specialist at Any Baby Can, where I actually did trainings for teachers, parents, and first responders. So I got to work collaboratively with the first responders in order to create presentations for them that would help them when getting to experience 
sometimes not the safest situations for our kids and adults because our kids do become adults later on in life. Um, but overall, it really sparked my interest in having IEP goals that are based on safety that also kind of contribute to academics because we all know that we have to tie them to the teaks, right? It's always in there. We have to tie them to a teak. And sometimes you just have to be really creative, but you always have to think of the student first and safety comes first in all of that. Um, if, they, if they cannot be safe, then they will not learn. If they don't feel safe, they're not going to learn. So it, it really is the, the starting point. What sparked my interest in safety wholeheartedly was my um, time with Abby. She was one of our moms at the nonprofit that I worked at, and she really wanted to start this training. It was, it's very, a very sad story, but it is impactful. She her and her son, who had autism, Rudy, they were in an apartment fire and she was able to get him out. And then unfortunately, he got away from her and ran back up into his apartment and hid. He was scared. That was his home. And she tried to go after him. And unfortunately, um, he went and hid and he did pass away in his apartment. They found him days later. She was while she was in the hospital and recovering from severe burns and heartache. And he was scared of the firefighters. He didn't know what to do in case of a fire. It hadn't, you know, it hadn't been practiced. That's not something you always think about at home to practice fire drills. You think of it in school, but not at home. Um, so it was her passion to really bring this to the community. And I have to say, she's done an amazing job really making people aware of this situation. My nephew also has autism. Um, and really what I want for him most is to be safe. I want him to be safe, really just like any other family where you want them to be safe and productive and happy. Um, but the way that we teach safety for neurodivergent individuals may just be different than the way that we teach neurotypical. We really have to practice in so many different areas, not just school, not just at home. We have to make sure we're generalizing. So today we're going to talk a lot about generalizing, how you can incorporate speech and safety into goals to really help them. And you, we want to think this is, if we're teaching something that's not going to matter in five years, then why are we teaching it? These are lifelong things that we need to continue to always teach. That's so great. Thanks, Kat. That story is so heartbreaking, but it's amazing what she's done with something so devastating that she's brought um, so much knowledge to her community about the awareness for safety, safety knowledge and skills for kids. I think that's incredible what she's done. So let's get started. So let's start off with, uh, let's just let's just go over basic safety knowledge. Kat, let's list out some of the main safety skills to target. So one of the big first things that we think of is fire drills, right? We do them at school, but we need to be doing them at home too. But it's not just fire drills, right? We're wanting to bring receptive language in there, expressive language, using visuals, using role play, how to teach these safety concerns, um, asking for help if needed. We really need to look at pain communication. 
that's something every child needs to be able to communicate where they hurt, not just that, oh, hey, I see they're acting differently. I'm noticing that, but can a stranger know that? How do you, how does our kid who eventually becomes an adult, how do they communicate that they're in pain or something is feeling off, they're feeling sick? So knowing the body parts, using visuals or their AAC or verbally telling someone. Also, first responder interactions are going to be extremely important when we're talking about safety because it's not just our kids' safety, but it is also officer safety as well, how we interact in a positive way that we are working together to create a positive environment and positive learning. So with that, you know, we're going to talk about really identifying first responders, their roles, even looking at their uniforms, because we want to make sure we're not just targeting the littles, right? The three to five-year-olds, but this goes to high school. How, what happens when you're pulled over in a car? What do you say? What do you do? What are the steps for that? Um, and that all goes back to communication. So we'll talk a lot about that. Um, even individuals who may not be verbal, but can they communicate in a way either using sign language, gestures, or pointing, but will they identify them as safe helpers and know what a safe helper is and a non-safe helper? That's great. It sounds like you could really spend a lot of time on each one of those. Mm -hmm. I know as a speech therapist, I can already, all these ideas are running through my head of whether, whatever you're working on, I feel like you could incorporate these and so many goals, you know, even just vocabulary, you know, yes. And everything first responders, there's so many different goals there. So many different. And it's um, a great way to collaborate with the special ed teacher as well, because really speech is all the time. So the special ed teacher really needs to be collaborating with speech so that y'all are creating goals that can be worked on all the time, not just with the speech teacher, not just with special ed, but really all together as a unit. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So why are these skills so important to teach with children? I think some of, some of us can think of the obvious reasons, but I think you have even more reasons to go off of. Mm -hmm. So Specifically, individuals with with autism or any neurodivergent person, they physically look like their neurotypical peers, right? Um, However, they may have different needs. They're going to have different strengths, different needs, um, but that may include communication deficits, work needs, challenges, sensory challenges, and learning challenges. This is going to be extremely important, especially once they get older, when they are teenagers, when they're adults, um, after talking with a lot of first responders, there are certain things that individuals that are neurodivergent do. Stimming is an example. Everyone stims differently, but because certain stims, they're just movements that are over and over and over again, that can be portrayed as an individual that might be on a different medication, on something, and the officer is not going to necessarily think, oh, they're, they may have autism or they may have a learning deficit. They may have something 
a communication disorder. They may automatically think that they're doing something wrong, which isn't the case, but that brings everyone's walls up, which puts everyone kind of in this weird little limbo in danger. So we really have to teach how to self-advocate that I, hey, I have autism. I need extra help. I may have a communication. I need space. Um, talking about their needs of how to communicate effectively is going to be extremely important. Um, but each individual is going to be different no matter if they're neurotypical or neurodivergent, but every child eventually becomes an adult. And if we don't consistently teach these safety skills that when they're adults, rules become laws. They're not rules in school anymore. They are laws. And when you break laws, there are consequences to that. Um, And we don't want our individuals to get hurt or to have a traumatic experience when that's not needed. But unfortunately, it does happen and it's no one's fault. It's just, it is reality. And so if we can prepare our kids for when they are adults to be safe and to advocate for themselves, but to also know what to do in a situation where, okay, I go this way every day, but now it's blocked off. I can't just walk through it. There's caution tape. Knowing that caution tape means no, no. It's very black and white. We're not going there is going to be very vital for safety. Um, running into the street, you know, you can't just bolt into the street. There's cars, um, and a, a very, very large amount of individuals that are neurodivergent, they're attracted to water. They're attracted to cars and impulsivity is at the height, right? So if they need to leave a situation, they're going. They're not necessarily thinking, oh, there's a car coming. They're just going to go. So that is extremely scary when we're thinking of littles to adults. Eloping. um, I've had a lot of parents that I've worked with that have had locks all the way up their door, but our kids grow. They get tall and they're able to get those locks off and they're, they're gone standing on chairs, finding a way out. So those are ways to help for now, but they're not teaching them something. We have to teach them that, okay, this is why it's not safe. And what are other replacement behaviors that we can do when we're stressed or this? Can I ask for a break? That is something that is communication. I need to ask for a break. I need to say, mom, dad, I need to, I want to go to the park instead of just running out of the street and going to the park. It's not safe. So we have to break it down. We're always thinking of, we have this skill, right? And it's not just tie your shoes. It's okay. Grab the shoelaces, tie it. There's so many steps. And when we think of safety, there's even more steps. So we have to start at the very little things like answering your name, knowing what stop means. Oh, it's stop. There's so many things that we need to go into that. And maybe they're hurt. They hurt themselves and they're unable to communicate that. Um, also being taken advantage of. Um, we always teach our kids when they're little, oh, follow your peers, do what your peers do, you know, stay in line, do this. But as they grow, 
being able to understand that this is safe and this is not safe. This is something great for me to follow. This is something not okay. So that decision-making process and being able to talk to people and knowing sarcasm, knowing if someone's being serious or not, it all goes back into speech and safety. Um, Even asking for help, seeking medical assistance, not even just for themselves, but for the people that they're with, and also sensory needs. If when things are in a stressful environment and we're all, you know, stressed and heightened, everyone's language goes down when they're stressed. And so we're like, oh, they don't need visuals anymore. They don't, they can do all of that. They can talk, they can communicate. However, when it's stressful, we may have to rely on those certain devices that we may have not needed for a while because we're stressed. So we do need to remember all of that but we have to teach these individuals to communicate what they need first and to know themselves and to be able to even point to something, sign something, whatever it is. Um, but that safety comes first and it starts from the, from the, when they're little, we really need to ingrain safety in them because that's going to be the most important thing. Exactly. And I love how you explained all that and that this is all about their needs and keeping them safe. You know, we're not telling them not to stem. We're not telling them mm-hmm. not to be who they are, but it's that, that advocacy for themselves yes. that, you know what, I am going to have these type of movements or I am having trouble communicating and this mm-hmm. is why. And I think yes. that's so important. The the why and the reason that this is needed for individuals that mm-hmm. um, that it's for their safety. Yeah. And we have to remember, you know, they're police officers, firefighters, they're all doing so many trainings. However, when maybe they just got trained or every, every person's different. So they're going to experience something different. But if our individuals are able to say right away, Hey, I have autism. I need a minute. An officer is going to be a little more understanding and be able to react in a different way than thinking, oh, what's going on and have their guard up. Um, you know, right. That's going to save time because the officer, you know, may have training and may, Mm -hmm. may be trying to figure that out. But, Mm -hmm. you know, in these type of situation, let's save time. Let's Mm -hmm. go ahead and, and try to get to the point. Hey, I have autism or these are my needs. This is what Mm -hmm. I'm, I may do. This is what I need. Just right, right away. That seems right. to be the safest thing you can do. Yeah, and it doesn't always have to be verbal. Some of our kids are going, or in adults, are going to have an AAC device. Some are going to sign. Others may, you know, have a card on them that says, I have autism. Here are my needs. That's a way of communicating. Communication comes in all different forms. And as long as we teach the child based on what they are doing and what works best for them that's what's most important safety isn't going to be taught like a blanket thing like everyone has to do it the same way we still have to think of the child or the adult as an individual and know what their strengths are what their needs are but we still have to have the expectation of being safe i'm not saying that oh 
Okay, yes, you know, I understand that we are playing with Legos right now. You can play for five more minutes while this fire is burning. That's that's not going to work at all. So we have to learn and teach our children, okay, when it's, it's go time, it is go time. It means done, but we're going to leave and go to a safe place. And then we have our Legos. You might pack a bag that has our, it's our safety bag and we grab it. We bring it everywhere we go. We have the kids, people's medicine. We have everything in it, right? They know what it is. Um, but they also know the dangers of staying. You want that safety to be at the height of what they're thinking, which will also help when we're talking about impulsivity and we're teaching them to think about things before we do them. Um, but it starts by doing little things first. And we hope we're never in that situation, but unfortunately, you never know if you're going to be. Right, yeah, being prepared for all types of situations and having the child who will be an adult to be prepared mm-hmm. for all sorts of those all sorts of situations. Um all right, so when we're talking about all those things, what are some ways that you teach these skills to children and especially children with communication deficits, what are some way, what are your go-to ways to instruct these kids? So I'm going to kind of break it down. So we're going to, when I'm going to talk about fire drills first, like when we're talking about fire drills, the first thing we're probably going to do is really talk about what a fire is, what a fire drill is, why we're doing it. Using books that even if you make them, but are, and interesting characters that they like, certain movies that they like, um, bringing those types of characters in and reading stories about them teaching that kind of gives them that overall kind of just introducing it. Then we're going to go into visuals. Okay, what is stop, you know, stop, drop, and roll? Why are we doing that? If you have a fire on you, but having that visual posted and then role-playing that. You're going to role-play not just with your teacher, not just with your speech pathologist, not just with your para. You want to do it with your sub, parents, uh, principal, whoever it is. We need to be practicing that with all different types of people in all different places, not just the classroom, not just the speech room. We have to generalize because... If not, they're going to know, oh, I know what to do if I get a fire on me in my classroom. But what happens when they're at the movie theater? What happens if they're at home and they've never practiced it there? So these types of safety goals, that's why I said it's super important that we involve the parents in these as well so that they buy in because we need to make sure we're generalizing. Um, Not, you know, we're doing the role play but also knowing that receptive language first, following one-step directives. What does stop mean? What does drop mean? What is roll? We're going to be doing all of those. Um, we want to make sure that we are also identifying first responders. So when a first responder comes in to help them, um, we know what their uniform looks like. We know that they, you know, have the helmet, they have the suit, they might look a little bit scary because they have a gas, like those little masks on. But what does that look like? And making sure that it's a positive experience, that they know they're safe helpers. They're not there to hurt them. 
they're safe, even though they may look scary. So really talking about that and being able to identify. When they're little, we want to be able to identify, okay, that's a firefighter. And then also building on that, what does a firefighter do? They put out fires, they keep us safe, everything that they do. When they're in PBCD, having them dress up as a firefighter, making it fun. Um, I think it's extremely important to, especially for special education classrooms, to talk to your local firefighter, firefighting department and seeing if they can come not just once when they're in kindergarten, but multiple times a year. We want to make sure that this is something that they see often and including parents to have them take them to their fire station. Every firefighter I've talked to, they love it when kids come. They want to show them the fire truck. They want to show them what they do because it makes their job also a million times easier when kids aren't scared of them and they come to them. It's super important, but that role play is going to be essential when we're talking about that. And we tend to do it once or twice, once a month, make it easy. With our kids, we have to do it every day at the beginning, and then we can move to once a week, and then we can move to once a month. But it's not something that you ever want to stop. If you stop, think about it. Like when you go off summer break, right? There may be regression. We make sure that it can be recouped in a certain amount of time. If there's an emergency, that's not a time to think, oh, well, maybe I should have been doing this more often. We never want to be in that situation. So even if they've mastered it, does that mean they've generalized it? Does that mean that they can do it here in the park at the mall If they can't, then it's not mastered. So always kind of have that in your brain that we can attach it to so many different goals, like so many different speech goals, but it still can be safety related. We can be talking during role play. We can switch roles. We can reverse it. But it's really important that role play, we're doing it so frequently. I love how you mentioned the mask, like for example, the firefighter, I think a lot of cute cartoon pictures or maybe even real picture visuals that we might be teaching kids, they often look, they're not always wearing all the gear that they would wear in a very dangerous situation. Mm -hmm. So I think it is good to identify that and to really talk about that because I think that could be a huge factor in a child being scared or nervous Mm -hmm. in that type of situation to know that that is a safe person that that is what they're supposed to wear. That's mm-hmm. a safety safety gear that they're wearing. It's nothing scary. Right. So it might look different. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's a great point because I think even before we talked about this, I was thinking about different uh, community helpers and thinking about diff- like different products or something I could make. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I, I think I definitely want to find visuals of them wearing the mask and in and all sorts of situations. That is a really important part about the visuals. We love cute stuff, right, when we're teaching. Mm -hmm. We love the cute stuff. However, that's not going to be realistic to our kids. So when we're talking about uniforms and we're talking about identifying first responders, you can do little cute activities where you have the cartoons, but real-life examples are going to be extremely important when we're talking about safety. 
Right. Those real pictures. Those real pictures. And look at your area that you're in. If you're in San Antonio, if you're in Massachusetts, if you're in Timbuktu, everyone has different like uniforms, right? And they're going to be different colors. And they're going to look differently. Try to find what is around you that you're going to so that if you do this little cute cartoon character and they have the little red firefighter hat, and they don't have the mask, that's going to be really difficult when we're in the moment trying to teach them that's safe or that's a safe helper because they look scary sometimes. Um, so it is really important that we're using real pictures when we're talking about safety, even safety signs. We have to think about it. It was so, this is a really weird example, but at my old apartment complex, they love to match the buildings, right? It was like a sage green building. And so they made the stop signs sage green. I don't know about you, but when I'm driving and I see green, I think go. That's what I imagine it as. So there's so, stop many, sign? <laughs> there's so many times I just would run through that stop sign. And I was like, oh my gosh, I see the words that say stop, but green means go. And you think colors right, before so you confusing. read. It's so confusing. Right, yeah. But I realized we do that to our kids all the time. We're thinking of visuals. And we're like, oh, this looks so cute. But it's not realistic. So taking a real stop sign, taking a real exit sign, what do they look like? And teaching important signs. You know, there's so many different community helper things everywhere, right? But if we're recycling is important, yes. But when we're talking about safety, we really want to make sure that we're looking at caution tape. We're looking at do not enter, exit, you know, stairs, where the stairs are. Um, all of those that are going to be the most critical, that's what we need to put as priority, not necessarily like yield or something that a three-year-old doesn't need to know what yield is or not driving anytime soon. So make sure it's age appropriate and realistic. It's not just a goal that we're checking a box off. This is safety. It's something that they're dealing with their whole life. So we need to make sure that we're putting, we're treating them like they're our own kids. Oh, also safe areas to go when there's a fire. That's huge. Um, one of the biggest things that may not necessarily be a speech SLP, um, teacher job, I guess, but it's always good to bring up with parents is having them create a blueprint of their house of where they would go and how they would get out, like an exit plan of their house. You can do it also in the school. Where do we go? It's a way to teach the fire drill, but even more. We're going a step further. We're knowing that when we, we line up, we always go this way. We're leaving this way. And then teaching those pop-up surprises. Sometimes our kids really struggle when there's a change. And when there's a fire, we don't always know where that fire is going to be. We know where the nearest exit is. But what if that exit is blocked? Where do we go now? So having backup plans, teaching a fire drill, not just from your classroom, but from the music room, from the outside. When I was a teacher which my first year, I was so grateful. I was a new teacher. I didn't know. I don't feel like I knew any better, but my principal would always give us like a 15 minute heads up. Hey, there's going to be a fire drill. And I was like, oh, awesome. Okay. We're going to get ready. We're going to go. 
That way my kids can avoid the loud noises. They're good. And then I realized I'm not teaching them anything by doing that because they're not experiencing it. And so it takes a lot of prep. It takes a lot of work. But if we're not putting them in those real situations, then they're never going to be able to do it, right? And so we really need to make sure that even if we really, if it's easier, it may not always be best. Um, and that's tough, but we've, we have to start from day one teaching safety and practicing it and going through those really tough situations of the really loud noises. Um, and that's when teaching kids saying, I need headphones. I need this communicating their needs of what they need in a fire drill or when they, there's a fire, we need to have things very quickly on hand. They're not just drills. They're for a real situation. Right. Like maybe part of the drill is grabbing the headphones mm-hmm. or grabbing whatever is needed in that situation or um, whatever is the safest route mm-hmm. for sure. But yeah, yeah. that that's re- really great. Okay. So then pain communication. Um, first, you need to identify the body parts of yourself. Um, it's great when people use dolls or animals or ever talk about body parts, but we need them to understand that this is my elbow. This is my knee. Understanding those body parts are going to be really important, even if it's just pointing. So what we used to use was, it was like a keychain visual and it had all the body parts. And then it had in the corners, a green, yes, a red, no. And it does this hurt? Yes, no. And you could touch their knee or you could touch on the visual. But having them understand their body parts, are it's going to be really important, not just for pain communication, but also as they get older, knowing that, you know, these are special areas that are just for me. There's only safe people that can change me. There's only safe people that can help me dress. Um, It's not just if they get hurt. There are so many parts of safety that we want to make sure that our kids that become adults aren't taking advantage of. Um, And using age-appropriate terms, age-appropriate body parts. um, This may be very awkward, but not calling their private parts like a cookie or something that is just not cookie. We want to use appropriate language so that if something does happen that they're not they're not comfortable with or they know is not okay that they're able to verbalize that or communicate in some way that someone hurt me here um Mm -hmm. so even from when they're little it's really important for all kids that we're teaching appropriate terms and terminology and right i've been using that with my own kids. Just I, mm-hmm. I've read plenty of stuff about that. Just saying like, if they know the correct words for things that they're less likely to be susceptible to something bad happened in them, not being able to communicate mm-hmm. to an adult and, that something wrong happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's something that you don't always think of, like even in toilet training, most of the time, women are the ones who potty train their kids, right? We're the ones who are doing it most. Teachers are women. Moms are the ones a lot of times that are potty training. 
However, with individuals that are neurodivergent, even the bathrooms are different. When you go to a public restroom, girls, we talk to each other. We have conversations. We do all of that. It's normal. It's very normal. You pass toilet paper into the stalls. You make friend, best friends in the bathroom. It's like a normal thing. If that's all, let's say you had a son and that's all your son learned how to do. And now they're at the age where they can go into a men's public restroom and they started doing that. It's not very normal. They don't talk to each other that much in the bathrooms. You don't stand next to each other. You definitely don't pass toilet paper. It's a very, it's a very different world. And if that's all they know, then unfortunately things can happen. Either fights can break out and the police can be called um, or even just things that aren't wanted happen. And so it's, we're talking about all different body parts, what's safe, what's unsafe, and how to act in certain social situations. And that's where speech pathologists can come into play a lot of teaching that social, what's socially acceptable. And it is in different bathrooms, gender norms. It, it does happen. And we have to mm-hmm. really teach it. Right. Be specific about it. Yes. For their safety. Yeah. And that comes with role playing. Role playing is going to be a lot in a lot of our training um, with our kids. And um, another thing that we're going to talk about is, you know, with first responder interactions. But yeah, identifying yeah. first responders and their roles, not just, um, you know, firefighters, but police officers and a sheriff and what a police officer may look like in their uniform, but what an off-duty police officer is. We don't really talk about that much, Um, but it's important and to know park police and there's so many, a paramedic, what they do, knowing all these community helpers and knowing that they're safe people to go talk to is very important, especially with individuals um, that elope. We have... It's a staggering number of neurodivergent individuals that elope where it's 55% of parents who have a neurodivergent child have had their child missing for long enough to call police. That is a massive amount of kids. And so to have that, we need to make sure that we're teaching them that if a police officer comes up to them to not be scared and run away, right. To come up to them, to feel that they can talk with them. Um, that goes to the point of teaching them their name, knowing that when a police officer says stop, it means stop. It's those one step directives. And then we need to build on that to two step directives. It doesn't mean just sit down in your chair. It means stop. It means walk with me. It means what does hands up mean? And you can make it fun, especially when they're little, doing the Simon Says and all of those things. Those are great ways to start teaching one-step directives. But we always want to pair those visuals, and then we can eventually decrease the visual help. But it's great to really teach those skills Also, responding to questions about themselves, like knowing their name, their parents' phone number, um, their, at least their street, maybe not their full address, but at least their street that they live on, 
but we need to make sure that we're really careful about like who we share that to. We have to be right. specific because I, I don't mean like not sharing that to everyone, to everyone, right? Yeah. Going to the grocery store and be like, hi, I'm Kat. I live here and come to my house whenever you want. That's not safe. <laughs> so we have to be super specific. And that's when we use, I think charts are very good for kids, sorting mats, and we can teach safe, unsafe. Having the red and the green, that color coded is very helpful at the beginning when we're teaching these things. Um, knowing that, okay, here's who I tell my address to or my thing to. And then here's who I don't. I'm not going to tell a stranger that I just maybe met at the grocery store my name, my address, and my phone number. That's not safe. But telling a police officer where I live is safe. They're going to help me. This is why it's safe. Um, those sorting mats are going to be extremely helpful. Even talking about safe and unsafe behaviors. Safe is when we use oven mitts to get stuff out of the oven. We're not just touching a hot stove. We're touching the oven, even though we're curious about it. We're not, um, it's safe to stop when we get to the crosswalk. It's not safe to run. Categor categorizing them and showing them very much like this is a rule. And this is what's safe. Um, helps a lot with making sense and making some of these abstract kind of concepts more manageable. So always incorporating visuals, activities into the day, which goes along with IEP goals. There's so many social studies. Math, that goes along with math. It's sorting. So you can tie them to teaks through everything and that's how you can help get to your IEP goals done but also creating safety and we're not just checking boxes we're making sure that they're learning it um, and being more detailed and intentional I think with what we're doing for every kid is going to be important if they're not looking at you when your their name is called I'm not saying like they have to have straight eye contact, like staring at you, but they turn their head to look. That is one of the first, first steps of, hey, Cam, come here. At least if they look at you, you know, they have your attention. It gets them to also stop what they're doing. So it's kind of two things in one. And then we can work on, okay, come here. And when you hear this, you need to already know to come here. Having sticky feet um, by the front door. Every time we go you know, to leave, we stand on the sticky feet and then we can go outside. Um, but knowing those, that receptive language of I'm understanding that when mom, dad, teacher says, line up at the door, I know where to go. I'm not just lining up with my forehead on the door. I'm standing where I need to stand so I can stay safe. Right. That's so good. You really painted a great picture. And I think I'm going to get some sticky feet or little sticky circles. They're great. In front of my front door. Because my kids are always like, yeah, forehead to the door, fighting over who's like right up that by the door. Oh, and yeah. I can't even open the door. I'm always like, you right. have to get back. I can't open the and door. And so having uh, that space, you can even do a visual of like the you know, the colored tape 
and have the colored tape and then the sticky feet. That's not, that's not where we stand. Um, Mm -hmm. and having a stop sign on the door, even if it doesn't always work, it's still, they see it. It could be a deterrent of just Mm -hmm. running out. Um, even a pause Greenland. could help. Mm-hmm. Even <laughs> a pause. Up, yeah, if you need yeah, to, yeah, it can. And it gets them to think too. We're teaching. All of this is teaching. We're not trying to trick or do anything. We're trying to teach those skills of I'm thinking before I do something. Um, because that impulsivity is a really hard <laughs> thing to kind of not get over, but control, I guess. So we want to make sure that they're also in their adult life, they're able to use those accommodations that have been put in place for them. And they're picking stuff out that works for them. They're picking out, Hey, I know that when I'm in a stressful situation, I need these visuals. So I'm going to already put them in my house, or I'm already going to put them where I work or what I need to do. I'm going to have my identification card on me. Um, when a kid is, starting to drive or when they're 15, actually once they're 12, they can get a Texas identification card. And on that card, they, you have to get a note from the doctor and it will say communication disorder. It's not necessarily going to say autism or down syndrome, but it is going to say communication disorder that it's going to be extremely important for parents um, to know that so that they can apply for that because it's another way to show and protect their kids um because our kids do drive you know just because they have autism doesn't mean that they can't drive so knowing that in high school speech teachers teaching them what to do when they're pulled over what the script is okay hands on the wheel what do I say I have autism I may need extra time I am not okay with driving off right now I'm flustered but understanding how to communicate that. It's always okay to communicate our needs. Um, it's way better to do that than to not. And then it builds up and something catastrophic can happen. Right, exactly. Communicating our needs and letting them know ahead of time or mm-hmm. in the moment as as soon as we can is crucial. Um, you gave so many amazing examples. This was this was great. I feel like, and we could still probably talk about this for hours more, but do you have, do you have specific materials, um, or resources that you use to teach these? I know you did mention some, but Mm -hmm. if there's some that you. Yeah. So one of the best things I think of is also video modeling. Um, this is something that can be used, you know, even when you're role-playing, you could record yourselves doing them and then they can practice it at home for homework. And then using YouTube videos to show them real life examples and what you're going to do. Those are video modeling is really, um, six, it shows a lot of success with our individuals. So those are, that's really good. Also teachers pay teachers. Um, the ABCs of autism on teachers pay teachers has a huge safety bundle where it has keychain visuals for first responders, not just for our kids, but for first responders as well. So if you go to local precinct, give us some to them and teach your kid. Great. If the, you know, the first responders know how to use them, but if our kids don't, then it's, we're not, we're not together, right? We have to be in sync. So we always want to make sure we're teaching our kids how to use these visuals. It's not just showing them and be like, Ooh, learn it. 
we have to teach them how to use it and teach them how to use it independently. Um, because when they're lost or they're afraid, we're not going to be there. So if they have these things on them, they have the their little toolkit that they can lean back on, it's going to help them be very successful. So the ABCs of Autism has it on their Teachers Pay Teacher store. It's really good. Um, you can make your own as well. I would definitely recommend that, especially when we're talking about identifying police officers, firefighters, especially in your area. You can go online, literally look at your precinct, take pic- Google has pictures, take those because you're going to have those uniforms of what they're going to look like. When they come to see you, great, take pictures. Also, go to your local precincts, go to the local fire stations, um, field trip, whatever, them being there is going to be the best resource possible and involving the parents as well. The parents can fill out different forms. At least in San Antonio, we have a form that they can fill out to give to our local sheriff's department that has all the information, the address, and it's flagged in our system so that if their child goes missing, different things, they can go and they know they have their a new picture of them. They have their likes, their dislikes, um, different ways that they communicate. That's extremely important. There's also some really cool features that you can get online. It's a thing and you go in and you can order these little stickers and you can put them on zipper tags. You can put them on like little shoe things, um, bracelets. And then they have actual ones where you can put them on bracelets. But what you do is actually the QR code, it links and it has everything about them. Allergies, medical issues, um, the ways they communicate, things that are triggers, that things that we want to avoid, right? If they really do not like having their hand held, but they can have their wrist held or vice versa. That gives people more information and ways to stay safe, Um, especially when they're little and they may not be able to communicate their wants and needs yet. It gives another resource. Um, It's extremely inexpensive as well, but you can also reach out to local nonprofits um, to see if they will cover it. And I will try to, Michelle, I'll try to find um, what it was called again because I cannot remember off the top of my head, but it's a great resource for yeah, that sounds families. Amazing. It really is. It's great for everyone, especially anyone with littles. If you're going anywhere, you know, it's great to have. But little things like even teaching kids to be able to have a bracelet on, um, we want them to not necessarily have to have like a necklace or a t-shirt. Like we would really like to have a bracelet because we want to teach the kids like when you are doing things like put your hands up, you have a medical bracelet, right? And so that is helpful for first responders. Um, even when you're, if you get in a car wreck with your kid, having a seatbelt strap that says, my child has so-and-so and so-and-so, and then you open it up and it has everything that they need if they're unable to verbally communicate or that they know that on the back of their you know car that, my child has autism, 
so that if they are impaired where they're not able to communicate and their kid bolted and eloped, that they know to go find them. There's just so many things that we can do that we can think of. Um, but my biggest, you know, push is to really get the parents involved because it needs to be a vill- it takes a village and especially with safety it does. But we really have to make sure we're generalizing because we don't want it just to be learned in schools or just to be learned at speech. We have to make sure it's everywhere or else we're not really learning. Right. I was just thinking how a lot of these skills need to be addressed with the parents. Like like you said, um, a lot of explaining to parents and all those resources like the seatbelt strap that they could have, you know, ways that they can keep their child safe if something were to happen to them that they couldn't. If they're usually the one who would communicate to to someone in an emergency that if something were to happen to them, that their child could remain safe or if their child, yeah, bolted. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. I think it's really good just to even get ideas from the parents, asking them when you're, you know, having maybe that pre-ARD meeting, talking to the parents about what are some safety concerns you're seeing at home? We can't just think about what we're seeing in school. An IEP is not just for this year, what they're learning in school. It's for a lifelong. And how can we help them to succeed after we are not there anymore? So involving the parents, asking them, what are you seeing at home that we may not be seeing at school is going to be very, very important and making sure you're breaking it down. Okay, we want our student or child to be able to wait at the door instead of just running out of it. Okay, well, we also have to teach them what wait means. We need to teach them what stop means. We have to break it down. We can't just think of this big lofty goal, but we have to think of the objectives and we have to think of what we're going to have to do to get there and the materials that are needed. There's so many materials out there. We need to use them, but make sure they're realistic. Make sure they're meaningful. Don't just put these cute little cartoons that are very, very cute. They're a really fun activity, but is it teaching them anything? I think that's the basis of what we always have to go back to. Right. No green stop signs. No green stop signs. (laughs) This has been so great. I am really pumped up about this. I feel like I want to incorporate safety in just every single Mm -hmm. session. It just, it could almost work. You know, I I was just. You could do it in math. You could do it in science. Yeah. No matter, even all teachers could do it. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Get that repetition in there, you know, Mm -hmm. as a, as a speech therapist, you know, if you're working on WH questions, you know, Mm -hmm. the story that you read could, could be a story about community helpers or fire drills following directions. That's an obvious one. Prepositions, Mm -hmm. even the words could be, or the visuals could be vocabulary that have to do with different safety skills. Yeah. Stand on the feet, stand off the feet. You know, those are. Yes. Yes. You can literally use them all the time. All the time. Yeah. The verbs like, yeah, stop, roll, mm-hmm. yes. go, mm-hmm. all sorts of things like that. And, yeah. even, you know, articulation, the mm-hmm. words, maybe your tar- you can find, you know, I know you're limited with whatever their target sound is, but mm-hmm. I think there are, you could still do a lot with, with There's finding so many words. <laughs> right. Or especially if you're at the sentence level, you could, you make a sentence that has to do with, with anything about the target mm-hmm. words. Yeah, I just like you said at the beginning of this that I think anyone when presented with an emergency or a very critical situation, I think our language everybody mm-hmm. might 
clam up, you know, not yeah. be able to communicate well. Like I even just I can think of one time I got pulled over. I I I did the most smallest thing possible. I think I liked it and uh put my blinker on when I was um changing lanes or something. Yeah. And I was just in tears. I could barely speak. And it's just <laughs> yeah. like I you know, I, see, I, I couldn't imagine been pulled you know, over. <laughs> Any child, or if there are any issues communicating, mm-hmm. how much more difficult that would be, mm-hmm. um, or any type of situation that that could be stressful or scary for them. Yeah, yeah. So this is so so needed. I think you explained all this very very well. Gave us examples. I'm very excited about all of our listeners listening to this and incorporating this into their speech therapy sessions and talking with the parents and caregivers about this topic as well. I am so thankful that you came to share all this information. I think this is so important. Parents, anyone um, could benefit from this. Thank you for listening. We hope you learned something today. All the references and resources throughout the episode are listed in the show notes and also listed on the pep talk podcast for SLP's website. If you've been listening while you're driving, cooking dinner, walking your dog, this episode is transcribed for you to refer back to easily. Kat, thank you so much again for joining me today. I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Pep Talk Podcast. Remember, you can use this podcast episode for a professional development hour to maintain your ASHA CCCs. You must earn your certificate of completion in order to get credit. This podcast course is also TISHA certified. I live in Texas, so that stands for the Texas Speech and Hearing Association. All the references and information mentioned in today's episode are listed in the show notes. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or simply want to chat, please email me or find me on Instagram, Facebook, or go to peptalkpodcastforslps.com. Thank you for joining in and for continuing your education with me.